What do you consider to be unusual? Oh, I don't know. What do you recommend? Hello, everybody. Welcome to the eighth installment of the Cuffcast from the Calgary Underground Film Festival, a resource of all films obscure, strange, weird, and quite informative, as this is our special Cuff Docs episode. And with me, as always, is my co-host and producer, Rhett Miller. I'm Cameron McGowan, one of the lead programmers of the Calgary Underground Film Festival. And with me are my two fellow lead programmers, Brenda Lieberman. Welcome. Hi. And Brendan Tilly, welcome. Yo, yo, yo. <laughs> Have you guys recovered from the uh, Halloween marathon yet? You oh, guys yeah. made it until yeah. 7 a.m. You made it all the way to the end. Well, you had to. I, I guess it took me about 24 hours to recover, honestly. Yeah. I was up with my kids three hours later, so oh, I no. didn't. Uh... <laughs> Rhett and I ducked out at 2 a.m. after Winter Beast, which brought the house down. Yeah, it was I was crazy. so wired after Winter Beast, I couldn't really go to bed after, but I think that was the surprise of the festival for me, how much people latched onto it and enjoyed it. For That was probably the least known one, you know, the least known quantity, but so much fun. In that and it was very handmade, homemade. Oh, yeah. And uh, not a lot of coverage as <laughs> the industry folks yeah, The actors it. are a little uh, eccentric. Shelton, this is insane. You can't control it, just like your ancestors and the Indians couldn't. They could only stop it before the stronger demons came through. Yes, but I understand now what they didn't. They're summoned here by their image. That's the key. But why? Why would you want to do it? No. <laughs> I thought there was a few films this year that people hadn't watched or seen before because we were getting comments throughout the night. Oh, really? Yeah, like oh, some people awesome. came for the nostalgia and re-watching films that they'd seen before, and others were like, geez, there's films here I'd never had a chance to watch, so it was a good introduction. Yeah, I got a couple of people mentioned like they'd seen Critters, but never Critters 2, like they didn't think to, to deep dive into the series, and they're like, this movie's amazing, like way better than the first one, How, you know, so I think we introduced some new people to some new franchises. Yeah, and so the event was sold out, and we had 60 heathens left at the end of the night. I remember the first year, we did this, 12 people made it. Maybe like eight to 12 people made it to 7 a.m. Uh, we still, we had such a fun time doing it that first year. We were like, we should do this every two years. Remember that? We were like, we'll do this every two years. And now yeah. we do it every single year. You should make like a cuff badge or something if you pass, you know, a little yeah, patch little or something, pin, yeah. Yeah, I think my favorite comment though of the night was somebody that said that this is their Christmas. Yeah. And they look forward to it every year. And I was just like, oh, okay, that's great. This is why we do it. It's exhausting, but it's for the, it's for the audience. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I have a great time watching the movies too, but you guys work much harder than I do at the event. I just pick the movies and go on crowd control for a little bit. I think the difference between that first year where we had the 12 people stay in now is that people actually plan on staying. I think the first year people was like, we'll see how long we make it. And like no one really made the plan for what that was going to take. Um, and then now everyone's just like, I've got my, my setup. I know what I'm doing. I'm, a, I'm, an, I'm an old pro of this and I'll be here all night. And they, they got their routines down because they don't want to miss a thing. Some people do 24 hour horror marathons, like fe oh, film I've festivals seen. or theaters. I could never, like, I, again, Rhett and I made 10 hours, if that. Yeah. I could, 24 hours? Could you imagine that? 
As we're going to get into later in this episode, some people try to play video games for 100 hours. <laughs> but see, a video game, you're engaged all the time, right? Like, no. you don't, can't really stop. But a movie, like, you can just sit there and you're going to yeah. go to sleep eventually. Yeah. You're not going to die. <laughs> well, maybe. Don't tempt someone yet. Well, let's jump into Cuff Docs, gang. Which year is this of, of doing Cuff Docs? How many years have we been doing this? This is our ninth. So we started the Cuff Docs Festival uh, because we were turning down way too many awesome documentaries for our main April festival. So we said, hell, let's just start a festival entirely dedicated to documentaries. And uh, we've been doing it a long time. People really seem to love it. So let's like just jump right in, gang. Gonna go alphabetical order. And some of these are in cinema only. I'll mention that. But um, a majority of them are all available on our streaming platform. Kicking it off with Better Living Through Chemistry, which follows a cute elderly couple who introduce people to the euphoric MDMA experience. Follows uh, Sacha, who's one of the main dudes behind the chemical makeup of MDMA. And a bunch of his little hippie retreats in his beautiful acreage there. Um, yeah, better living through chemistry. Any, anything else you want to add to that, Brenda? Yeah, just I love the connection between himself, Sasha, and his wife Anne. And uh, this is directed by a Canadian filmmaker, Connie Littlefield. And uh, I think it's going to be a really interesting just film for people to check out. It's got a short, a local short actually screening before it, which is a state student documentary called The Stork Pin. That I think Do you know who's a, in that? Who's Rhett's child is in that movie. Oh, really? Yes, yeah. Rhett's child is the baby in the, the B-roll B- B- footage. Yeah, yeah. And so you'll get to, I don't know, is that like a confidentiality oh, breach no. or something? He's got, he's credited on it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> if you want to see Rhett's baby, he's in the stork pin <laughs> before. I, I actually really, really through I, chemistry. we're going to get into more shorts before features and shorts in the festival, but this was a subject that I didn't even know existed following... 911 operators who help deliver babies when they get calls. Yeah, that one call about the dude just running away during the birth was so wild. Did he ever come back? Do you know, right? See, that's the thing. They never get closure. They deliver the baby, but they have no idea. Like, Oh, that was intentional. So it's always, you never know. I hope they have to live with that, but they get a pin at least. (laughs) So yeah, Better Living Through Chemistry is available on the platform, the whole festival. It's online only. So make sure when you're watching it, you check out the short too. Absolutely. Next up is Cannon Arm in the Arcade Quest. I love when we can get a video game movie at Cuff Docs. And this one, it's uh, following a colorful dude, Kim Cannon, trying to break some world record video games. But unlike most video game documentaries, the people in this documentary are like nice people you'd actually want to hang out with. They're not too... Too yeah. mean or they, competitive? They are the anti-Billy Mitchell. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is not King of Kong. This movie is like nice and supportive. And yeah, and and that's what it is, is that it's a team of them that do it. Like probably eight total. Like Kim knows that like if he's gonna accomplish this, he needs. He's got his dietitian, and he's not like a professional dietitian. Like his friend who knows how to like keep <laughs> up. He's got to go with the spreadsheet, and they have to like help him sleep for ten minutes at a time. Yeah, it's like Rocky or something. I think it's something like you can only be away from the game for fifty minutes. I thought they said in a day. I don't know if that was in a day or in a different period, but like you can lose lives. But like if you actually don't play for fifteen minutes in a given stretch, it like totally resets on it. So they have to let him sleep for short periods when he's got enough lives to to make it through and you hear them yell out how long he has to pee and things because I mean 100 hours is 
a long time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, it's just, it's a cool, fun video game documentary, and, it, uh, and it's nice to hang out with nice nerds in this type of movie for once. Because they're these, such sweet, gentle they're people. They're such sweet, sweet guys, and it's got a really nice ending. I, I really enjoyed this film. I thought uh, I thought this was one of the standouts of the festival, and I think it's going to be a huge crowd pleaser. Yeah. And that one's going to be in cinema as well. In cinema and online, yeah. Sunday, so yeah, closing day, 5 o'clock in cinema, but catch it anytime during the festival online. It also screens with the short Access Granted, which is, I think, a film that we're all pretty passionate about, uh, accessibility in video games, and uh, a blind uh, gamer who consulted on The Last of Us 2. Yeah, and The Last of Us TV show is filming here. Yeah, so a nice, interesting connection there, but uh, again, a really, really sweet dude, Steve Saylor. And yeah, he consulted on this and actually speaks towards accessibility in gaming. And uh, there's so many different things that were done in Last of Us 2, and it's really groundbreaking. I mean, there'd been accessibility in other games, but to this level, they really showed a commitment. And I think that for as big of a game as Last of Us 2 is, it was overlooked at the time that was released, just how accessible it was and all the, the little things they added so that anyone can enjoy this. I've had no idea about this. Like, how do you play a game if you're blind? It's like the visual doing? instructions, like when you're watching like a movie that has the, they walked into the room, the dust was glimmering. So it's like you were walking left, you were going through this door. Yeah, pretty much. Really. Yeah. And again, and not all of it relates to visual impairment. There's all sorts of impairment. And there was actually, one of the things that I thought was really interesting, and I've forgotten what it was called, but it, it was actually first added as god mode in one of the uncharted games i think where it was this interesting like color-coded thing like once you pass the game you became this color-coded thing which was super helpful to gamers and now they've added this as like a, a feature you can turn on in the last of us 2 because they figured out that that was just like a really for some colorblind uh, great, folks great i think it's actually just more about not even colorblind but like like the colored blobs draw more attention to it or something so you can like better focus on different things there was oh interesting this is one of those films that was when we were so passionate about Locke so quickly, I don't think we then reviewed it much afterwards. Like it was one of the first things we saw. We're like, yes, yeah, in. Yeah, and I remember Brenda <laughs> mentioning me about that film. She's like, like, we're booking this. So it wasn't Sounds in. Good. It wasn't in any discussions recently about if it was in or not. We're like, yeah, booked. So then none of us have gone back and watched it. Yeah, and then I loved the short so much to go with it. I watched it yeah. twice in a row because I was yeah. like, oh, this is perfect. So yeah. yeah. And then another film that was such an easy book coming up next, Cliff, A Portrait of an Artist, which is from director Adam Brooks of the genre film collective Astron 6, who made Father's Day, the editor, super gnarly films. But this is a documentary from Adam, and it's crazy how good this movie is as his first documentary. It's structured like a beautifully made film from the 70s, a lot of great candid interview footage. But then there's these like beautiful um, stop motion animation sequences, and the music is absolutely wonderful, and the camera work stunning the whole time uh so adam brooks if you're listening <laughs> kudos dude this film is amazing and it follows a winnipeg artist cliff island kind of him coming to terms with his own mortality as he's having some issues with the, an operation he just had i don't want to spoil too much but cliff is someone i could watch for five hours uh he's such an interesting guy and you can really tell how much adam loves this dude and adam's in the film as well, and there's some very thought-provoking discussions between the two gentlemen, and uh, yeah, it's like it's a great art documentary on a Canadian artist that is extremely important yeah, and, and I, extremely prominent. I looked him up online too because I was curious, and I mean his work has toured across the country for sure and had openings, but 
Um, I believe his last Calgary opening was um, at the Art Gallery at Calgary when it was down on 8th Avenue. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Well, he seemed to be doing quite well for himself in his final years. I think he said he was taking in 200 grand a year in the dog. I'm like, damn, yeah. Cliff, congrats, boy, my man. And Guy Madden's in it. He has a bunch of Cliff's original pieces up in his place there. I love this film. Who did the stop motion stuff? Adam did a lot of it, but there was a lady that he worked with, um, because there's two different types of animated sequences in the film, and Adam did some of them. It's like a cutout animation style, and maybe this other person did it. But I know he's an illustrator himself, so I'm assuming Adam did the illustrations on It was so good. I asked because I thought maybe Guy Madden did it because he did it for another of the docs. Exactly, yeah. We talked about Woodlands, Darkened Days, Bewitched on the last episode where Guy Madden popped up. Legend. One of the great Canadian filmmakers. I was just going to say that it, it really feels like just sitting on an artist's couch and chatting with them. Like, I mean, it really yeah. nails And it's very that. inspiring, too. Like, when I say it's about someone coming to terms with their mortality, it's in a very touching way. Like, it's in a warm way. It's not, uh, yeah. this is not a sad film by any means. Well, kind of sad. All documentaries are sad, though. This is what I realized programming Cuff Docs is that... 80% of good documentaries are as sad as fuck. Like, they're like oh. the most depressing movies you've ever seen. I was trying to make a little short list for my parents, actually, what to watch. And I was like, when I started to talk about some of the stories, I was like, wow, that's sad. Oh, and that one's sad. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Okay. But anyways. And then it doesn't help okay. that Cuff goes towards more transgressive material, so it just doubles the sadness in some of these well, films. We'll get to comedy, too. But, yeah, there's some heavy stories in here. And do we have a short before this one? Yep. Uh, oh, another are, alum. Another alum. Right? Yeah, yeah, by uh, Brad Abrams, who we've shown several of his work. Um, yeah, I saw this at Fantasia. This Love short is brilliant. We've shown, um, and most recent shorts, what's the... One Conspiracy Cruise. Yes, Conspiracy, Conspiracy Cruise we did, yeah. Yeah, friend Brad's a big festival. friend of the festival, but he also just makes awesome movies. Yeah, so yeah, I'm a couple friends of the festival paired together here with, with Adam and, and Brad. Brad's sitting on our uh, feature jury this year, too, so he's doubling down with us. Oh, Thanks, Brad. Yeah. Love that, dude. <laughs> the next one is the opposite of depressing, guys, right? Come back anytime. You can't yeah. feel sad watching. Well, I guess there are well, some I mean, sad moments also, it in is this, also, too. It, it's a restaurant closing, right? Yeah, like right. It, 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 it is the end of the restaurant's life, but it is, it is so heartwarming and everyone just loves this restaurant so much i suppose we should jump in and mention that it's, it's a ramen restaurant yeah in, it's following in, in, the last in, days in, in, of a japanese yeah. master's ramen restaurant yeah he's a, a self-taught ramen master like probably one of the best in tokyo and uh his clientele are are devoted to him and everything he's done and they talk about the different things that's been tried at this shop over 40 years like bringing in beer and stuff but also just keeping it so simple it's just basic soy-based ramen's been his his go-to for 40 years he makes it perfectly maybe he adds a little bit of pork if that's what you're into <laughs> and uh, you know different cuts and stuff that they talk about but um uh don't go into this hungry because you will you will want to yeah, even if you, you have a full it. stomach you'll be hungry this is food porn at its finest i mean that that at home for sure but at the festival we're going to give out Free ramen to yeah. everyone who's got a ticket. So yeah, so, so plan on coming. So do come hungry then. Come, come hungry, get a <laughs> cup of ramen. Or eat before and then still eat ramen after because I ate twice during this movie. I don't know what it is but ramen is so cinematic you know just yeah. a ramen bowl just looking at a ramen bowl it's so cinematic I think it might be the, the fish spiral thing all the ingredients you know the piles of rice it's gorgeous the broth the way the meat's laid out 
So I think Brennan's hooked in adding soy sauce now to his. That's Soy-based ramens? I mean, it's always been a thing, but while I was watching this, I was like, I'm going to experiment with, like, if I can add some different stuff to mine, I'm going to play around. Like, just watching what he put in his, I was like, I have some of these ingredients at home. I mean, obviously, the soy sauce was the easiest, but, like, <laughs> there's things like, I want to do that. I'm going to see if I can try my... So I, I ate quite a bit watching this. And that's the... This film thing. changed your life. This is the thing about, you know, us watching at home on, on our laptops at, late at night is it's just, like, two in the morning. I'm just like, I've got my laptop next to my stove with, like, two pots of ramen going to be like, which <laughs> one should I try? That looks delicious. And then, you know, the next day, I was like, I, I made my one ramen too spicy. <laughs> And we also have a short film before this, Kodo, The Last Service, which is also about another uh, restaurant closing down. Um, I don't remember too much about this short. I remember it being the perfect pairing, and it's a Canadian short. Yeah, uh, also Prince, Prince Albert, I believe. Yeah, yeah, and also has some beautiful food pornography in it. Yeah. <laughs> so yes, Kodo, The Last Service, playing before Come Back Anytime. And Next. it's actually a nice uh, dichotomy with Come Back Anytime, because obviously ramen pretty popular in, in Japan, but Kodo, they talk about how there was no uh, appetite for Japanese cuisine when they arrived. So they actually like had this very like westernized like, hey, do you guys want to maybe try some Japanese food? And so that's a much different evolution compared to the, right. you know, master ramen chef and the one that's like, no, seriously, like sushi's not going to kill you. <laughs> and then like de developing this devout, uh, you know, clientele yeah. out of that as well. Be like, it's where it is now where yeah. there's so many Japanese food places yeah. in Vancouver. Yeah. Next one is a film that I know is near and dear to Mr. Brendan Tilly's heart. Dear Mr. Brody from Academy Award winning filmmaker Keith Maitland behind Tower. What do you love about this film, Bryn? Uh, just so surprising, right? Like, I, I, it took some some twists and turns that, uh, I mean, maybe it shouldn't have been surprising. I mean, I don't think it could have gone as well as he claimed it was going to, but a young, rich kid is like, I don't need money. Just send me a letter and I'll give you some money. And this, like, idealistic early 70s mentality of, like, do I have enough money for world peace? M maybe. And, like, this, like, weird concept of someone that, like, comes to money and just wants to give it away, which is a heartfelt gesture, but yeah, also... Yeah, so the subject of the documentary just said, write me if you want some money. Yeah, yeah, so he got, what, thousands upon thousands of letters from all over the world with these, like, incredibly, like, sad and heartfelt stories about why said family or person should receive the money and you find out all this information through the film like I don't know if you ever really fully know what parts of it was real or not real of what he was going to do and not do in the film. Yeah because he's kind of a trippy dude he's like a definitely a druggie. Yeah it's a it's a psychedelic journey into a margarine air. <laughs> <laughs> but these letters all get discovered some yeah. like 50 years later. Yeah. This yeah. film is an interesting mix of the but, past and the present right because you've got yeah. a lot of the archive footage from the past and then you've got his wife his ex or his widowed wife telling the story today. Oh yes. Cool. Dear Mr. Brody check it out. Another one near and dear to Mr. Brendan Tilly's heart. Glory and Grief the Fergie Jenkins story. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm a huge Fergie Jenkins fan. Who is Fergie Jenkins, first uh, off? Well, probably the greatest Canadian baseball player of all time. Here's the pick. He got it! Gary Templeton! The 3,000 strikeout of his career! Gary Templeton goes down swinging. And Ferguson Jenkins being congratulated, throws the baseball into the dugout. All of his teammates coming out to shake his hand. And the first Canadian inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame won the uh, Cy Young Award 50-some years ago, pitching for the Chicago Cubs. Also the first uh, player to ever get banned for life due to drug charges. 
Uh, that ban only lasted two weeks, I think. The NFB did a great film about him uh, back in the 70s, which we're, we linked to on our website called King of the Hill, if you want to see like kind of his heyday versus now. Um, I also have an autographed baseball of his. It's one of my prized possessions on my shelf. And when my son tries to grab it, it's one of the few things he's not allowed to throw. <laughs> <laughs> but all that is is to preface that this is, is the story of, of after his career, and uh, once we've covered the, the glory piece of his career, it's the grief of his life afterwards. And it's been quite a, a traumatic journey for him, a lot of loss and, and how he's, he's coped with that, but still kept his upbeat uh, personality. So yeah, I mean, it, it's not a baseball film. I don't think uh, this documentary really, you need to care about him as a Cy Young Award winner. That's why I wanted to, to see it was because my pattern for James, but really was, was blown away about the film. I was quite impressed it was something that we would want to play. I mean, I really was just like, oh, this is a, a film that's going to play on TV only in Chicago. How do I watch this? Oh, I'm a film programmer. I'll just ask for a copy of it. <laughs> and then it came through and it was amazing. So yeah, really, uh, really happy. Yeah, there's a lot of big to, uh, fans of this film. And I love yeah. sports documentaries and I hate, yeah. I'm not even a sports fan, but uh, yeah. sports just have such a dramatic arc. I do love sports stocks too. Yeah, Actually, they're great. And I don't yeah. play sports. Yeah, you don't need to be into sports, love sports talks. It's just that, that passion and that competition. And then um, tied with that, another baseball documentary that's not about baseball is the short Old Met, which is about tearing down the old um, stadium in uh, Minneapolis and how it eventually got replaced by the Mall of America. So another interesting pairing that we have where it's, you know, two films that are not really about baseball and about what comes after baseball. <laughs> and uh, in a, both take odd, interesting journeys to get to a emotional place. And actually, I'd, I'd heard about the Harmon Killebrew seat at, uh, at the Mall of America, but then actually, like, the way they pan to it in the film, I was like, oh, that's that seat, and that's actually kind of sad that it's over a roller coaster. Or maybe it's happy. I don't know if I'm happy or sad that that red seat sits over a roller coaster. <laughs> <laughs> Next up, we have a returning friend of the festival, Bobcat Goldthwaite, who uh, presented... God Bless America with us many years ago. This is his film, Joyride, where he partners with Dana Gould and hits the road, and boy do they get candid in this documentary. I was especially happy to hear Bobcat's response to Jerry Seinfeld cussing him on Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee. Oh yeah, that was great. In the Bridget Everett episode. You know, my, I'm good friends with and that's his I don't friend. like him. I at all. Oh, no. At all. In fact, I have a particular feeling about him. He used to rail against comedians because they weren't as wild and dangerous as he was because he sucked. Okay? He wasn't funny. Yeah. And that's why he didn't get anywhere. Yeah. Period. This feels, I feel very tense right now. Because in comedy, nobody gives a if you're cool. If you're lame, uh, yeah. if you're funny, you win. Yeah. If you're not funny, you yeah. don't. And yeah. he's not funny. That's why he had to do that stupid voice. Because you have no act. Poor Bridget had to watch asshole Jerry Seinfeld make fun of one of her best friends for the Netflix audience. But I'm just glad Bobcat gets his retort in. And it's much funnier than Jerry's teardown of Bobcat, that's for sure. Yeah, th this film is a joy ride. I'm just, anyways. Uh, I mean, you love, yeah, I love when we can find a comedic film to show, especially in this festival. And like you said, he's become a friend of the festival since we brought him with God Bless America. We've shown a few of his other films, Willow Creek and 
American Bigfoot. But this is a great stand-up um, road trip film with the two of them. I also didn't know he was in a car accident, which is pretty unfortunate to have heard about in the documentaries. So I'm glad they're doing well and that they're on the road together. If we weren't on Thanksgiving, we hopefully would have ha been able to have them here, but we'll you know, be able to do some interviews with Bobcat, so about the film. And you're text buddies with Bobcat, aren't you, Brenda? Won't you get a text message from him every now and then? Oh, we stay in touch for sure. He's the nicest guy. Like ever since we brought him that year for Cuff, he has stayed a friend. I could text him and be like, hey, how you doing? And he's really sweet. Got a lot on the go, which is great. Yeah, he directs so many uh, comedy documentaries. We'll have to have him back. It's been too long. Yeah, we'll definitely have him back. I know that the last couple films we've shown that just timing didn't work out with his schedule or now recently with the past two years on COVID. But next one, we will bring him. Bobcat's coming back. He's coming back. You heard it here, folks. Next up, we have Kurt Vonnegut, Unstuck in Time. Finally, a documentary on Kurt Vonnegut, one of the great American authors, and a damn good documentary at that. I know Brendan's a huge fan of this, but I was also a huge fan of this. It was Kirby Enthusiasm's Robert Wade uh, was behind this documentary, and it's very stylish, and I think Mr. Vonnegut himself would have quite enjoyed the film. Yeah, I think it really catches the, the spirit of, of Vonnegut, and I am not... Uh, articulate enough to describe what Vonnegut's writing style was, whether it was like the the metafiction or self-referential nature, whatever it was, but there's stuff that, that shows up in a lot of Vonnegut's work that I think in spirit carries through in, in this film. It's 40 years almost in the making. The original director couldn't even finish the project. Like he just, because he becomes so connected to Vonnegut as a friend and he just loses the ability to make it a film anymore that uh, another Cuff alum, Don Argett, gets brought in to do the interviews about the documentary and it becomes this very interesting meta-documentary Probably one of my favorite films of the year. You know, I went in as a huge Vonnegut fan and came out of it just more a fan of the filmmaking in, in general of it too. Robert Weedy was making stuff for PBS and wrote to Kurt Vonnegut and was like, hey, can I like make a doc? And they became, I don't know if they're best friends, but very, very close friends. And so it becomes a documentary about friendship, about love, about coping with changes and um, just a lot of stuff that gets seen in Vonnegut's work itself. So good. And it's in cinema only, but this one begs to be seen on the big screen. Next up, another beautiful film, but one that seared itself into my memory, Lost Boys, which is a follow-up to Reindeer Spotting. I'm not going to try to pronounce the director's names, but it's very much rooted in drug culture and it follows the documentarian himself who was looking into the death of one of his friends after they partied way too hard in Southeast Asia. And uh, it's kind of a missing person murder mystery mixed with like a druggy sex trip adventure. You see some very candid footage of drug use and sexuality and the filmmaker shows everything. This is like, you feel this movie and it's told in a very esoteric way where the, kind of the mystery unfolds through the narration of the filmmaker. And the narration is very cryptic, but it matches the cryptic nature of all of the footage. And uh, yeah, I couldn't stop thinking about Lost Boys after I saw it. Fantasia, it actually worked its way into a couple of my dreams, just the way it's shot. It's very ephemeral, dark and crazy, important film. Check it out. And then much like I had to take a break during Come Back Anytime to Eat, this is a film that you want to take a break to wash the grime off yourself. <laughs> it goes grimy. It's yeah. 
It's the real deal. Yeah, I was surprised how raw it was when I watched it because this is when you guys programmed before I had a chance to see yeah, this it. This might have been the first movie we programmed for mm-hmm. Cuff Ducks. Next up, a much nicer movie, a local <laughs> so film. sweet. Love the last chapter from local filmmaker Dominique Keller. Brendan, you've had your eyes on this film for a long time. You care to talk about it a little bit? I love Dominique's fascination and interest in um, working with seniors and... Uh, I remember when she was making this film and she had moved into Silvera Sr.'s home to, you know, really kind of live and spend the time with the different residents and people that she was going to be focusing on in the documentary and just experience what it's like to be there full time. So Yeah, and this I, follows three couples going through late love relationships. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to talking to her at the festival. Probably would have been a challenge to figure out how to even narrow down the different couples to focus on in the home. But who she did hone in on is really fascinating stories and subjects. And I don't know, we're all getting older and uh, thinking about where you're going to end up and who you're going to end up with. And, you know, who's helping to support you, your family or strangers or whatnot is all really kind of surreal to think about but this film I thought was really great and I like her style of filmmaking it's really verite she's really not there and you're really just focusing on them yeah I would say that there's also times people are like completely oblivious to the camera like like just care workers just walking into shots just to like clear a table like it's clear that she's got a very fly on the wall approach and um yeah there's not a lot of commentary or backstory it is you see what unfolds and and just kind of soak in these moments six people and their friends and family that that come by but just them living their lives without much influence or company to see what they do and them at their most open I would say you really see them expressing their love for each other and talking about their ups and downs and uh, it's it's quite good yeah I was really impressed by how deliberate it was how skillfully everything was laid out especially considering they probably had the camera rolling for six to 10 hours every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, just the fact of how deliberate and stylish the film ended up. I was very impressed. So congratulations, Dominique. And Next. that's our opening night film, by the way. Next up is Luchadoris, about some real badass Mexican wrestling ladies just struggling to have fun, make a living, keep their families together while fighting for their rights and fighting in the ring. I believe this played at South by Southwest. Mm-hmm. We tried to get it for the main festival back in April. Scheduling didn't work out. Perfect example of why we started Cuff Docs. So we just said, let's just book it for Cuff Docs. I uh, love Luchadoras, a lot of beautiful photography of the ladies in the ring, but also the ladies being really cool, strong ladies in Mexico. A lot of beautiful photography. Check out Luchadoras. Next up, we're taking a trip back to Wakaliwood. Cuff a couple of years ago, we showed Crazy World, the crazy mind-blowing action film from Uganda, and now you'll get to learn about the filmmakers behind it. This film takes us behind the scenes of the productions of Isaac's films, the handmade Ugandan action epics, and his team of ninjas that he trains for it, and his team of camera people, and his editing system that relies on Ugandan power, which infamously goes out every five hours, it seems, according to the documentary. So just how much love and hard work it takes to make these crazy Wakaliwood films like Who Killed Captain Alex and Crazy World. This documentary was about three years in the making, so it gets to show a couple of Isaac's films. 
and we're stoked to have the Canadian premiere and it's a very cinematic stylish look at the making of some not so cinematic handmade pictures and so it kind of embodies the ethos of Isaac's spirit like Isaac's wanting to make Chuck Norris movies on a $5,000 budget but what he ends up doing is finding a happy medium where you can have fun with how ramshackle the productions are, especially when you add the VJ Ermi voiceover of crazy wild Uganda action, and then some sound effects in afterwards. Uh, and it really shows Isaac's process when he implemented the crazy VJ stuff and what happened when the trailer for who killed Captain Alex became a viral sensation and people tried to track down Isaac to find out who made this film. And uh, Isaac, yeah, has, makes like two features a year, casts his kids, cat, his wife's doing the camera. It's beautiful. It's the spirit Cuff loves to embody. So, once upon a time in Uganda. Next up, we take a trip to the United Kingdom with Rebel Dykes, which kind of documents the formation of the first yeah. lesbian fetish bar in the UK. I thought this was super inspiring. The women's interviews are very empowering. A lot of cool characters in this, and some really great music came out of that club too. Yeah, yeah. I like I like this uh, everything about this film. I like all the archive footage. I like the punk rock music, um, the vibe just in it. There's amazing animation in this one too. We've mentioned a few films have that. Yeah, this year there were a lot of great animated sequences, and it's really nice that people are using mixed media in their documentaries. It really helps, you know, keep the audience engaged, but also explore the medium uh, because you know documentaries are more than one thing there's some documentaries that are entirely animated um, it, you don't only need talking heads and so I, I tend to lean more towards the documentaries that have less talking heads interviews <laughs> more style more vibes and this mm -hmm. definitely has both of those in great measure can you talk a bit about the short before this one moto love Brennan three women share their love stories with motorcycles and just you know it's a nice open Open road, ladies in their motorcycles. My mom yeah. rides a motorbike. Did, you guys probably didn't know that. I didn't know that. I yeah, it's a know that. this is a Quebec one. I, didn't, I had no idea your mom rode a motorbike. Yeah, my mom rides a motorbike. Huh. I remember when she was, it was so cool when she was getting motorbike lessons when I was like eight, and then she has her own big black motorbike. Awesome. And, uh, yeah. She should uh, drive it through the, the lobby like uh, Meatloaf in Rocky Horror Picture Show. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know the last time mom took the motorbike out, but she should. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe she'll make a special appearance. Got that nice little ramp at Globe. You can just drive right down, right? <laughs> Get one of those little seats for Arthur on the back. <laughs> Guys, I'm loving this too much. <laughs> just like I love the work of Mr. Satoshi Khan, and we're showing the documentary Satoshi Khan, The Illusionist, which I had the privilege of seeing at Fantasia earlier this year. It's a look at the late anime director Satoshi Khan, who made films such as Paprika, Millennium Actress, Perfect Blue, and it uh, has interviews with some filmmakers that he's inspired. I think he's infamous as being the second most famous feature film anime director to come out of Japan, and he's definitely inspired many people outside of Japan. Uh, Mr. Darren Aronofsky, for example, ripped off many shots directly from Perfect Blue for Requiem for a Dream, which they kind of touch on in here, but it's more about the man, the myth, the legend, and what could have been if he didn't um, die at such an early age. Yeah, and we, and we played his film Paprika a few years ago, a great filmmaker with quite the oeuvre of, uh, of films. Yes. <laughs> Next up, we take a road trip with some wild and 
candid trans ladies on the road sharing their stories with each other with sediments. I think this might be the most stylish film of the festival. We get some beautiful footage of European back roads with these really cool characters um, discussing their shared histories, but also how different they are. They're all so different and unique. People are people. That's kind of the main theme behind the film is that just because we have six trans ladies doesn't mean that they're all similar or they're the same person. They're all so different and their histories are all so vast. Um, and it was just wonderful again to hear these ladies' stories and watching them bond over, you know, some shared histories, but mostly just how diverse and unique all of their trans experiences were. And uh, I love sediments. I'm really glad we were able to find room for it. Yeah, me too, actually. And um, it resonated with the whole team who had been watching it. But the this one, I thought, is another one that falls into the really kind of raw... We describe it even in the synopsis as a hangout film because yeah. you really are just hanging out with them all throughout the course of the film. And that's part of what I love about the diversity of the different documentaries that we have at the festival, too. You know, you've got the Talking Heads, you've got all the archive, you've got these Verite-style ones. So there's a really nice mix of style of filmmaking. Yeah, and it's just some of the conversations they have are just so beautifully candid and it doesn't feel like anything was staged for the camera. Like it feels like the camera was just lucky enough to be there to catch these really great conversations from these cool ladies. So yeah, check out Sediments. Now we're getting to the shorts packages. We have two of them this year. So many great short documentaries. Brennan, why don't you jump on in, my man? Yeah, so as I said, we had so many great short documentaries, a bunch that we paired with features that we've been mentioning throughout. And then we've got these two packages. We've got UBU, which feels kind of like that classic cuff collection of oddballs or just, you know, people that are living their life, whether that's, you know, Vancouver Canuck fans being Vancouver Canuck fans when they're in the Stanley Cup finals or, you know, a kid that just really likes his rat tail. But, and then what that hat carries is emotional weight. Cuff alum Jim McDonough is back with They Used to Call Me Crazy, another animated film, just, you know, relaying a story from his grandfather. So that one's just like, I find just a real cuff quirkiness oddball grouping is in that package. Yeah, like I almost wanted to cry at the end of the rat tail doc. Almost? How did you not? <laughs> I'm uh, emotionally and, numb, I guess. <laughs> and two of the stories, aside from that we've got two alumni in this in this package, we've also got two local films. New Horizons is local and Normalizing Awkwardness is local too, so. Hell yeah, congrats local people. Yeah. Keep making movies. Yeah, and alum, keep sending us your stuff. We'll uh, we'll keep playing it because we keep loving what you do. Yeah, I love the alum. Yeah, it's, just, it's great watching our people grow, you know, getting to see where they go. I mean, I've been here 10 years, but Brenda's been here since the beginning. I can't imagine the cool shits she's seen. But, like, also with these docs, I found that they were so hard to figure out what these themes should be because they're all so completely There was, like, no diverse. running theme this there year. There isn't a running theme with the docs. Brennan did find a way to package them together really nicely, and it's great, but the stories are all completely diverse and we are just picking films that we just really get attached to by their stories and want audiences to watch them so yeah just and, dive in and i would say in describing the two packages uh i'm not saying it as an either or watch both packages they're both very similar but yeah there's these slight through lines in case people need some sort of hook other than believing at this point that we program good shorts and just watch all <laughs> yeah, of them. Yeah, the theme is that they're all great. They're so great we had to create a second package. They're documentaries that the Cuff team loves. That's the theme. Yeah. And so what, can you tell us more about the second package? Yeah. Life is what you make it? So the other one is it has a, some people that, you know, have social justice or activist 
was a bit of a through line on some of them, but really it's more about people that really took charge of um, their life or the lives around them and, and shaped them in, in some way. Uh, we've got, you know, an, an Afro-Indigenous two-spirited DJ that hosts her own radio show and is very vocal in, in that regard. We've got a uh, Swedish woman that takes on the bureaucracy of this crazy tax system that doesn't let her claim uh, a reindeer as a tax expense and is just, again, very funny in, in how this plays out and reading the judgments her and dog. stuff. Oh, is it a dog? She raises reindeers, but it's the dog. It's the, the dog on the reindeer yeah, yeah, yeah. farm. Yeah. It's the working dog. Yeah. Yes. Sorry, I was remembering. I love that farm. short. It is fantastic. Um, Svani versus the Swedish tax agency. Yeah. <laughs> Vo, which is about uh, the training of self-driving cars. I guess I didn't. I didn't realize that they had to be trained. I did realize they could kill people. That part <laughs> I knew. I just didn't know uh, that people actually like sit in these cars for ten hours a time reading a book while well, it drives itself, but if something goes wrong, they fix it. I mean, unless there's a cyclist and then they kill the cyclist. But <laughs> aside from that, they they correct the car to do what it's supposed to do. And again, then excluded by design, just like a really interesting uh, look at um, how public notices are designed. And I thought that was quite interesting in this election year. We've had two elections in the last year and um, the notices, I don't know if you guys know this, but they, they were really poor notices. And then this documentary that came out was like, have you ever noticed that like municipal notices are like terribly designed? I was like, I have. And you're like, well, here's why they're terribly designed. And so I thought that was just a really uh, interesting topical film given, um, you know, how anytime I get one of these surveys on what I thought of the recent election, I will give them an earful. <laughs> Thank you for calling me leisure. Here's what I think about the notices I received about where to vote. Not even voting <laughs> They were board. ugly. They were ugly. And they didn't tell me where to go. I'm not supposed to wear a mask. And that lady didn't know she didn't finish voting. So yeah, I thought that was a great uh, topical um, documentary excluded by design. I mean, as we said, these, there's a reason we're playing all of these. They're, they're fantastic shorts that vaguely piece together. <laughs> yeah, we, we received so many short submissions this year. It was hard to narrow it down. So thanks for everyone's hard work on that. Some of our previewers at home are listening. All right, next up we have a documentary on a band that's coming to town. And I recently bought my tickets, going with my buddy Matt to see Guar. Shout out to Matt. <laughs> Shout out to Matt. <laughs> we go to many heavy metal shows together. We've seen some like legendary heavy metal shows together, mm -hmm. me and Matt. Um, Skeleton, which anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, <laughs> it matters to me. There's yeah. some very cherished memories. And the, the, the documentary, This Is Guar, goes to show the metal community's creative side, fun side, funky side. And it profiles the band Guar up from their formation until now. And they originally started as art school kids just wanting to make movies. And so they already had all these weird kaiju props and uh, blood gushing penises kicking around. And so they wanted to try to make some movies and then partnered with some fellow art kid musicians who were kind of in a band. But when Guar formed, the music was second to the videos and the stage performance. Um, the music was intentionally bad at the very beginning and they'd play at some clubs, but people would go for the blood gushing penises, the arms getting cut off, the decapitations, the things you go to a guar show for. What they say is you go to your first guar show wearing a white shirt in the front row because you're gonna go home covered in fake semen, fake blood, fake spit, fake alien goo. Uh, and so uh, this goes through the many incarnations of Guar, um, the different members that came aboard, touches upon Dave Brody's sad death, but also how the band picked themselves up after that and got a new burst of creative spirit and are obviously still 
touring. Fans of Guar definitely need to see this, but fans of horror movies or handmade props or art school kids need to see this. It's about the beauty of collaboration, but also the nasty toxicity of ego that can creep in there. It's fun, it's sad, it's candid, it's got a lot of blood gushing penises. <laughs> and you're going to be hosting a Q&A with the director on uh, in the theater on Zoom. Cool. And we've got two sets of uh, Guar tickets to give away at the screening, too, from Live Nation. So if anyone has Yeah, Matt, don't enter. We already got tickets. Yeah, don't enter. But if anyone uh, hasn't bought a ticket that's at the screening, you got a chance to win. Yeah. So, yeah, this is Guar. And that is in cinema only. And uh, some of the sights you see in this film will be beautifully played out on a big screen. Hmm. Next up, a trip back to the 90s. We Were Once Kids, a documentary about the kids from Larry Clark's film, famous, infamous film from the 90s. kids um, and where their lives went after that film, who they were before that film, and sadly how much they were exploited by an old pervert <laughs> in the film. I can't look at kids the same way after watching this film. I was thoroughly depressed because kids was a formative film for me, man. In the video store days, that was probably the most rented tape by teenagers and edgelords in the making. This was the film that people would be like, have you seen kids? Oh my God. Like, do you remember when kids came out, Brenda? Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And so, I mean, but it still has some great footage that Larry Clark's kids of the skateboarding community and it's still very transgressive. But it, this documentary shows that Larry ignored many potential stories, especially with the women, and Larry's business tactics were non-existent other than feeding the kids weed and booze and telling them to keep rolling, many of these kids underage. Sadly, it's a sobering look at how artists can exploit communities, but it's done in a very artistic, beautiful way, and some of these people have gone on to become, to run nonprofits or to become famous skateboarders. So there's some great stories contained within, but I don't know if I can watch Larry Clark's kids again. I mean, I probably yeah. wasn't going to anyway. Yeah, I might be past that. But um, there's, I, I do go back and watch kids occasionally, at least partially. It's, it's a great film, and I don't think when I watched it, I thought, oh, I bet this is made by a real stand-up gentleman. Like, I don't think I, <laughs> yeah, I ever right. assumed that Larry Clark was, like, this great dude I'd want to meet, but uh, this was pretty, pretty sobering. I mean, I, I think there were some other people that also probably shaped the strategy with That's this right. film. That's right, I'm sure and, the Weinsteins and, bought the yeah, film. Like there, there's also, yeah, it, it's not strictly Larry Clark that uh, bears all the weight of what happened to these kids, but certainly they were not appreciated for what they brought to the project and, and who they were and, and weren't really properly taken care of. Also launched the career of Harmony Corinne, another cuff fave maybe i'm not now i'm not sure i still he's, love harmony yeah i think i think i think, I think he's still okay I mean, and larry's made some good movies it's just yeah. you can, i don't know just watch watch this film and we'll talk about it later audience <laughs> it's, it's it's just troubling to hear that yeah a film that helped get me into filmmaking and because yeah. i love a lot of larry clark's films 
But you're right. I shouldn't have assumed he was a great person yeah. to begin with. Yeah. <laughs> so. Next up, we have a film from this past South by Southwest, When Claude Got Shot, executive produced by the one and only Snoop Dogg. This takes a look at the life of this fellow named Claude, who was just the victim of a random shooting. The rehabilitation, the emotional turmoil, the direction it takes on the life of the person who shot him. It's just a wonderful look, and it's weird to say that, but it's a compassionate look at the effects of gun violence, the ripple effect of gun violence, where the act of violence is not the only bad thing to come out of the occurrence. I was thoroughly moved by this man's journey. Compassion and empathy are something the world thousand percent needs more of, and when Claude got shot, is rich with it. So be sure to check it out. And before this film, we have a short film, Mending a Crack in the Sky, which I know Brenda's a huge fan of. It was a really moving short that just felt like a perfect pairing with this feature. Uh, it's a story that takes place um, in uh, BC, I believe. It's a Canadian story about two mothers who lost their sons to gun violence and what they've gone on to do to heal afterwards. And it just works really well with the features. So, so this would be it, a very uh, moving pairing. Yeah, exactly. So it's, you know, you're discussing how to combat gun violence and the ripple effects, as you mentioned in the feature, and how it affects everyone kind of around you from involved. Yeah. Yeah. Heavy stuff, but very important and very relevant. Yeah, and you know, you look at the two, an American story and a Canadian story, and while our gun laws are very different, we're still seeing obviously an increased amount of the violence that's happening everywhere. So. Yep. Last but not least, Woodlands, Dark and Days Bewitched from Kayla Janice, who we just interviewed on the last episode of CuffCast. We dug deep into this film, but it is a lovely, beautifully shot look at the history of folk horror cinema. Folk horror is based upon the juxtaposition of the prosaic and the uncanny. It's strange things found in fields, lights flickering in dark woods, the darkness in children's play, being lost in ancient landscapes. Folk horror ultimately asks, what if the old ways were right? Starting with the unholy trinity of Witchfinder General and the Wicker Man and Blood on Satan's Claw. And then it goes from there to explore the history of folk horror in countries all over the world. And this film will be available as a part of a box set that Kayla's putting together in December. And that release has a specific disc of Canadian folk horror films with mm. local director Mike Peterson's short film Consumed on there. Um, so Woodlands Dark and Days Bewitched is three hours of <laughs> archival footage from amazing films, a lot of which you may not have heard of, contrasted with interviews from some of the most brilliant historians on the subject. I was learning something new every 15 seconds, and I sometimes do consider myself a jaded film fan, 
But I, after this, I had a fresh burst of life. So thanks to Kayla and Severin for making such a beautiful documentary about a neglected horror genre that is rich for revisiting. Yeah, and this film is one of the particular films that has me so excited we're back in the cinema because this should be seen on the big screen. Oh, yeah. So, so the, some of the clips are going to play beautifully up there, but also Guy Madden's shadow puppets are going to look really cool. And Kayla shot some beautiful B-roll footage that's accompanied by um, folk horror poetry that is going to play extremely well in the cinema. So if you feel safe doing so, check this one out in the cinema. Yeah, and just to note that it ties back to our very first festival. Our first festival, we had a documentary about Kayla, and of course she's been our cartoon curator for several years up until this past year. So again, along with a lot of the films we've been talking about with Cuff Docs and kind of keeping it in the family, this is definitely one of the, the big ones. It is nice to have so much alum and to continue the Cuff family spirit even in an offshoot festival, Cuff Docs, because it's very prevalent in our main festival, in, in the Calgary Underground Film Festival, but... It's nice when it happens in the Splinter Festivals, too. Like, I know some visiting filmmakers have become close friends just from coming to Cuff Docs together. Mm -hmm. That's true, yeah. And uh, it's, it's just nice we get to keep the Cuff vibes going all year long, but I do look forward to taking a little bit of a previewing break and just enjoying some real some st some non-submitted movies for a bit yeah and actually when kayla's folk horror set comes out in december i'll probably just be watching those and just cool. cram through just that. cram through those and then we'll be jumping into programming cuff 2020 is it three no, i'm just kidding <laughs> cuff 2022 <laughs> i mean it's been two years since april so oh. it's been <laughs> Yeah, I know I've made some uh, time mistakes on this episode, but honestly, the last five years feels like one year, and the last uh, two years feels like five years. It's uh, Time is completely meaningless to me these days. Yeah. You know, pandemic, kid, some marijuana use is probably to blame. I mentioned the other day that I was looking forward to Halloween. I forgot Halloween had passed. <laughs> We're still listening to Halloween music at the house. But luckily, as Arthur keeps asking for it, my son, and I'm like... I will happily play Monster Mash again, my dude. Yeah. I always call November October part two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's yeah. my chance to catch, you know, I have a Halloween October list and I can just, all the ones I missed, I can catch up in November and finish it off then. Just to gear up for Christmas. Well, thanks for joining us at Rhett's F Shack, Brenda. Thank Brennan. you. It was great having you. And uh, I mean, it's not like I haven't seen you in a while, but I'm sure Rhett hasn't seen you in a while. Oh no, with the Halloween Marathon. Oh yeah, I guess. We see each other all the time. <laughs> it was two weeks, which felt like... <laughs> yeah, it was two weeks, which felt like nine weeks. weeks. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks again for joining us, gang. And uh, stick yeah. around, folks. Rhett and I are going to reach into the dusty DVD bin. <laughs> and maybe some streaming, too. <laughs> and we're back. Thanks again to Brenda and Brennan for joining us. Hope you folks can check out a ton of movies at Cuff Docs. It's streaming, geo-restricted to Alberta. We know you want to go to the in-cinema stuff. So uh, this typically would be the mail day segment. But as with last month, I didn't get much mail this month. And we want to do a special Cuff Docs documentary selection of some picks we think y'all would like. So let's call this the Dusty DVD Bin. And streaming too, because I got some streaming stuff. <laughs> the dusty DVD bin and streaming too, because I got some streaming stuff. Rolls off the tongue. <laughs> Bit long, Rhett, but I kind of like it. All right, I'm going to kick it off. This was a past cuff selection where I actually got to do a Q&A with the director, Adam Rifkin. Was so stoked to have his big face up there. 
was not so stoked it was for six people. So those six people, I hope you enjoyed the <laughs> Q&A. But I love this film so much, I don't care that only six to ten people showed up for the Q&A. Giuseppe makes a movie which shows Giuseppe Andrews making a film in two days, the film being Garbanzo Beans, which is on this Blu-ray as a special feature, and which contains the phrase... Groin goulash, which I can't get out of my head. I think of that phrase once every five to six months. Groin goulash. So the film that he's making is full of dirty limericks from people that he's cast in roles. Uh, but these people are all from his trailer park or uh, drug addict friends of the people in his trailer park. These are non-actors. And one of them, Giuseppe's been making movies with, with for such a long time, this super old dude. And there's some beautifully candid footage of Giuseppe actually going to clean up this old guy after he has a poo-poo incident. And Giuseppe does it in such a respectful way that you can't help but love him and his spirit as a filmmaker, trying to make these dirty limericks, Fassbender-inspired films on very little money and very little time. But he's got it down to a science now. Garbanzo Beans is probably his 20th feature film. And he's like a machine. You see him, he's like, okay, at noon, I have one cup of coffee and I eat this tin of sardines. And then he drinks the liquid and he's like, that's enough energy to get me to six o'clock. And you see him yelling at his dad to go pick up people at the airport. And it's cool, man. It's a really great film that shows the chaos of filmmaking, but the beauty that comes from that and the beauty and lurid material and phrases such as growing goulash. And garbanzo beans. And Giuseppe Andrews, he's the party man, right? That's right. So I forgot to mention that. So Adam Rifkin directed this, and he also helped discover Giuseppe as Giuseppe was in Detroit Rock City as the shy, cute boy of the group. And then he later went on to play the deputy in Cabin Fever, who... The party man, y'all like to party? I love that part. Oh man, he's so good and he's so charming and luckily he makes an appearance in a lot of his own movies. So after watching Giuseppe makes a movie, uh, you'll want to check out some of his other films. They're kind of hard to track down. Troma's got some DVDs of them. He used to sell them on his website and he would draw you the artwork himself. And I luckily still have those kicking around, but he's since went MIA, shut down the website. Uh, hasn't made any new movies or new music in years. So I hope he's doing all right, and I hope he comes back to make some more flicks. What do you got, Rhett? Me too. Uh, mine is about another filmmaker who went MIA, but this guy isn't coming back. It's called Blood and Flesh, The Real Life and Ghastly Death of Al Adamson, which was produced by... Cuffcast interviewee Heather Buckley. That's right. Yeah, so... Good team there at Severin who made this doc uh, to go along with their box set, but the documentary as well has been uh, released. Uh, you can find it on Amazon Prime, at least in Canada you can. Um, but yeah, it's a great documentary about one bizarre filmmaker, Al Adamson, who made a lot of really schlocky, low-budget movies. You know, what is it, Dracula versus Frankenstein and Carnival Magic, all these really interesting... A lot of films shot on Spawn Ranch in the later days of Spawn Ranch. Yeah, regional films where, yeah, in uh, North Carolina, like he's just kind of going all over the place. But uh, quite a eclectic and spotty filmography. But then pulling the curtain to show that a lot of these filmmakers who were very prolific even had lives outside of it. Like, you know, he was in investments and he he was going all over the place doing these sorts of things. And he ends up 
being murdered by someone, a tenant that was in his house and then buried underneath his um, jacuzzi that was installed in there. So a real bizarre, you know, true crime story that comes out of this, you know, filmography of this really interesting film. Yeah, so not only would the doc be awesome if it was just about Al Adamson if he had lived because he has such a vast, crazy amount of films and crazy stories behind his films. Like I had probably seen Charles Manson more than once. And then he meets a sad demise, unfortunately, but uh, it's a wild story. I love this doc, man. Yeah, it's wild. You, you hear like, you know, a lot of the filmmakers, you hear like his maid and, and, you know, people that lived around with him and people he worked with and were friends with. So you, you get a real picture of the man as well behind, you know, some of the craziest kind of low rent sort of 70s, 80s uh, drive-in fare. Uh, and then the human story behind it, too. So it's great stuff. Yeah, I love that film. All right, next up, I got something maybe Rhett won't expect. History of the Eagles. I don't even know about this one. Okay, so I wouldn't even consider myself an Eagles fan. But I love oh, I thought this it was document. The, the cover is pretty vague. I oh, I know. It, was it looks about birds. <laughs> no, oh, oh, no. This is about the band, the, the Eagles. Eagles. Yeah. Okay. And so I'm not even a huge fan of the Eagles. I I like Don Henley's Boys of Summer. I think that's one of the greatest rock songs of all time. Amazing. But I I never liked the Eagles because there was something about them I just didn't I just didn't like. I didn't want to like them. And this documentary t- taught me why. They're all a bunch of assholes. They're all a bunch of talented assholes. But Allison Elwood made this beautiful documentary on the Eagles that anyone can watch. If you don't like the Eagles, who cares? You should watch this because it feels like almost famous. They have footage of the Eagles playing a show where at the end of the show they're like, man, we're probably only going to get to do this for another two years, so enjoy it while you can, right? When you know how big the Eagles have become, hearing them say something like that when they're in their early 20s is very cool to see. But, uh, man, the egos on these dudes. The egos on the Eagles. Some of the conversations in this movie are wild, man. But this documentary really takes you back to that time when rock bands were playing huge stadiums and popular music was good and the fans were really appreciative um, but there was also a dark side to the partying and the egos behind many of these musicians this documentary does a great job of showing that and I didn't come out of it an Eagles fan but I do have an appreciation for the Eagles now a little bit better than before then. Yeah, I used to make fun of them all the time. And then I watched this doc because I'd heard that this doc had some beautiful footage back in the day of the 70s um, and that it felt very much like the ultimate rock doc. And it does feel like the ultimate rock and doc. And it takes us up to contemporary time now or is it more about that? that oh, period? no, it touches on the fallout of when they all went on their own solo projects. It's like the definitive Eagles documentary. I have another pick. It's not necessarily a single documentary, but a documentary series that's on a streaming platform that I thought would be fitting to go along with the, the kids' documentary as well, but called Cursed Films, which is on Shudder and, you know, details a lot of those sort of stories. Maybe you don't, you don't want to hear about some of the films that you love and some of the darker, more human stories. And the one that really uh, stuck out to me, well, I guess there's two, uh, you know, so with what happened with Alec Baldwin on set recently, you know, seeing uh, the, the one on The Crow for that is, you know, just really goes into depth of what is supposed to happen and what should have happened and then what did happen on so The Crow sad. Uh, that killed Brandon that crow, that crow episode was so sad. 
Yeah, and then for me, the one that really hit even more was the Twilight Zone one oh, with boy. John Landis and uh, just the interview with the production designer. Steven Spielberg's going to him and saying, you know, looking at the set that he built, like this Vietnam set or whatever, and it's like, man, this is amazing. Like, you've made it. How does it feel to be um, the top of Hollywood, you know? And then a, f a few days later after the terrible accident that killed Vic Morrow and two small children, he never worked again, basically, right? And he's talking about the guilt he feels and just the, the deceit or whatever, just, you know, feeling betrayed by the process because he, you know, this production designer was trying to do everything right. And then there was ego as well. Like, we were talking about eagles, but John Landis at that time, you know, director cinema, right, late 70s, early 80s, you know, they just were on top of the world or they could do whatever they wanted. And this is when a real life tragedy sort of grounded everyone and realized, hey, there's repercussions to, to the choices you make on a set. And so anyway, Cursed Films has about, I think there's five episodes. Each one details a different film and all the sort of cursed and quotation marks things that happen to it. And so it's really fascinating you know, lift the curtain on some of your favorite movies uh, that have a lot of weird history or sad history to them. Yeah, I love that series. And it's, uh, that's from a Cuff alum. That's a Canadian series. So Is shout it? out okay, to the know. Yeah. team behind Cursed Films. Can't wait for season two. All right, I'm going to lighten things up a bit here, Rhett. I got The Man from Hong Kong on Blu-ray here. The Man from Hong Kong is not a documentary. But on this umbrella disc that I had imported from the UK... There are five documentaries made by the filmmaker behind the man from Hong Kong, Brian Trenchard Smith. So the king. people may know Brian Trenchard Smith from his work on the Leprechaun films or the amazing Turkey Shoot, a personal favorite of mine. But he made a James Bond knockoff called The Man from Hong Kong that had uh, Jimmy Wang Yu in it and Sammo Hung. But it's mostly a George Lazenby joint. It's a James Bond ripoff with some cool kung fu scenes in it. But before making films, Brian Trenchard Smith was a documentarian in the stunt film community and was trying to learn about Hong Kong action scenes and the hard work of stunt people that go into making some of these fabulous scenes in the movies that he loved. He'd made documentaries on these folks and this subject before he'd made any narrative cinema, and it only helped you know, make the stunts in his movies even cooler, having uh, studied it in films such as Death Cheaters, which is on here. That's a documentary. Um, this one's mostly about motorbike stunts and gun stunts. This one, that one has some really cool shit in it. Stunt Rock is on here. People know Stunt Rock. It's just a, it's like a collection of some amazing stunt scenes with interviews with some, a lot of mulleted dudes. And so it's like a rock greatest, and roll greatest music. Hits of yeah, Stunt Rock's kind of a greatest hits. But then Kung Fu Killers is where I think he met Jimmy Wang Yu, who's uh, obviously yeah the uh, one armed swordsman, and that's a documentary on the um, Hong Kong Kung Fu boom. So he got to see some really cool wire work and really cool stunts, and got to bring that back with him to I believe he's Australian. What is he New Zealand? Australian. He's Australian, yeah. So he got to bring that to Australia to make his cool, badass action flicks. And then there's a couple more I haven't watched, but those first three are all amazing. I've already watched all those. Danger Freaks, which is, again, I think is about more explosions, stunt dudes. And then The Stuntmen. So that's obviously just going to be about The Stuntmen. Look forward to checking those two out. But yeah, man, I don't even like Man from Hong Kong that much, but I imported this to get five documentaries made by Brian Trenchard Smith. The man, the myth, the legend. Are these like... How long are these dogs? They're all feature length. What? Yeah, Five man. Five on a single disc there. Yeah, I mean, they they're, they were not well preserved. They're all SD, 
but they it's a piece of history man i just i had to see these things they're all made in the 70s late 70s early 80s that's amazing i had no idea i gotta check that out a lot of the great filmmakers you know john borman started out doing a whole bunch of documentaries as well before making point blank and deliverance really cool to see gotta check those out all right right what's the last pick um yeah, so I picked a consortium of documentaries from a documentarian as well, but they weren't on a disc, so that's why I introduced streaming as well to it. Uh, they're on Canopy, though, which seems to be the only way you can find these films, but they're the films of Frederick Wiseman, one of my favorite documentarians, and Brenda was mentioning some cinema verite feeling documentaries at this year's Cuff Docs. And for me, he's the titan, the king of it. The way he's able to do a film about any sort of institution. A lot of them are American institutions and about just like the real, real life stuff that goes in there kind of unjudged. You just get to kind of see as a fly on the wall, like life in a high school in his film called High School or Welfare, uh, about those applying for welfare and the, the whole state of that. Or Titicot Follies, one of his most famous ones about an insane asylum. But all of his works are on Canopy Preserve there for anyone who's got a library subscription. So I uh, would definitely recommend and my favorite being high school, just a 1967 portrait of a small little high school and, you know, the dreams and ambitions of all these children and the sort of disconnect maybe that they have with the parents and with teachers in that turbulent time is just an amazing time capsule for someone like me who didn't grow up in that time. But, you know, hearing my parents talk about it, it was like a window into another world. So great didn't he, didn't he run production on that without rolling film for a year to get the kids comfortable with being in front of the camera and then didn't start rolling until the second year? Something like that. I don't think it was a year, but months. Like he would have his filmmakers come in with the cameras and they would mime filming, but they wouldn't film like, you know, to waste the 60 millimeter film that they were shooting on. kids on. that are just going to be acting up in front of the camera, right? Yeah, and so then the, 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 the kids got so comfortable with it that they were... Yeah, they would fight in front or they would, or, or especially the teachers too, or like the principal would be giving the kids shit and stuff like that. Like very candid stuff that you'd be so reserved to talk about now, right? But because he was there for months, uh, it just felt like, you know, that he was just, wasn't even there, right? And they ignored the cameras the entire time. And so it's, it's just surreal, the footage that he's able to always get because he ingrains himself in that. And he says he gets like, you know, like 100 hours worth of footage and he cuts it into a two-hour documentary, you know, and he goes through every single frame. He edits all his own work. So uh, he's a national, or international treasure, I guess. He just won a Lifetime Oscar a couple years ago. Again, I don't know. My time is probably off. Maybe it was just la this year. But, yeah, last, uh, last week. Yeah, la yeah. yesterday he won. But uh. and He's still making movies, man. I watched one he did on a strip club about six years ago, and then he did one in the National Gallery not that long ago, and they're still awesome. I mean awesome in the old sense of the world, like they leave you awestruck. Yeah, and he's, yeah, he does them for PBS a lot of times. I don't know his current ones, but... Yeah, for some somehow he's got an arrangement with Canopy, so like most of his library, if not all, is, is on there. So there's just hours and hours of footage there. So definitely recommend checking some of those out if you you know get inspired by some of the cuff docs, the more fly on the wall ones. Uh, go back to what the King did, because uh, Frederick Wiseman is one of the best. Awesome. Well, thanks everybody for listening to the Cuff Docs special edition of the Cuffcast. We'll be back in January as we're taking December off to lick our wounds and watch some films. So we'll have a cool new guest lined up for you uh, for the January episode. Until then, stay cool, but not too cold, hopefully. 
keep the heat at a nice what? What do you keep it at? I'm like a 22 Celsius guy, right? What do you? Oh man, I'm like a 20, 23 maybe, but my wife's at 18, so it's 18 in our house. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wearing lots of sweaters, especially at Christmas. Maybe two sets of socks, but uh, I, I make do. <laughs> we'll stay frosty, everyone. Thanks again for listening. Let's cruise.